We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Inspired by the presence of Captain Jack Youngblood, playing in pain with his broken leg. A savage Ram defense. They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 seconds. a whole burst to it. 20. Side steps a tackle. Runs left. 25 still on his feet. 46-yard goal by number 39. Running back, number 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hecker. A high school quarterback. He's got a throw. The fake is on it. He's got a first down to Stephen Bailey. Mike Jones made the tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Rams Talk Radio with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo without my co-host tonight. It's been a while, right? He's finished in school year up as, as well as mine. Hard to connect, but it is what it is. We got a great show for you tonight. The tour in the league begins. The 2022 tour in the league begins. I am thrilled at that. The Atlanta Falcons and the Minnesota Vikings are under the gun as we talk to Two of their best coverage podcasters for it, and Matthew Kohler for the Vikings, and then Aaron Freeman, return for Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons. I can't wait for those two guys to give their perspectives on what the offseason was. It was an interesting conversation with both, by the way, and we'll see what you all think of it as well. Also, into, uh, with me and, and Tommy, or me and Mike, bad grammar, right? We didn't really do a podcast where we gave our thoughts. I do want to say this. The Rams draft... It's pretty much what we thought it would be. It's actually kind of weird in that when Tommy and I broke it down, and Tommy just basically said, if you want to know where the Rams are picking, look at who's up for free agency in the next two years. And sure enough, that's where the Rams went. So nothing was really shocking come draft day. I think that they did a good job filling potential gaps. It works for them. They keep developing their players in the back end of the draft. We'll see if it does work. I mean, this is a new thing now where many of the people who the Rams had in their front office are gone. They've had coaches move on. And, you know, you still have to keep that developmental train going or eventually things will fall apart. So as long as the Rams keep developing their players, the these mid guys, these guys that can develop, train up, 
let him go for free agency. Then later on, in the end, they bring you back more comps and share comp picks. Then you're good to go. So I think the Rams had a nice draft, and I don't put any credence whatsoever anymore in draft grades because the game has changed. How do you grade the Rams when they're doing things differently than most other teams are doing right now? And they're successful at it for the most part. I just don't see how you could do that. I, I think that in the case of the Rams and some other teams now who are emulating what the Rams are doing, you can't really assign them a grade because their draft is through players are trading for or, or free agents are signing or moves are making that don't necessarily correlate with an actual draft. So that's why I have my two cents on it. I know it may, it may sound like a cop-out if you're talking about draft grades and I'm not willing to give them one. But let's be honest, how many times have teams been given great draft grades to find out four years later that was a bust draft for them. I mean, we're, we're a bunch of talking heads in that respect. You don't know in many cases how that's going to pan out. I look back at several quarterback drafts in the past, and, and I know there were many people who thought various quarterbacks out there worked. Jamarcus Russell, we thought he would work out. I can keep going with names. David Carr, there's another one. We have thought all these guys would work out, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's the crap shit that the draft is. All right, so before we move on, I'm going to ask you to head over to Apple Music. We'd appreciate a five-star review. That's always great. If you want to leave us some feedback on the show, email us at ramstop1945 gmail.com. We'll be right back with you. And let's get out to Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons. And it was an interesting, interesting conversation as the Falcons now look to rebuild and start anew. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the tour around the league for 2022 is underway. And the all-knowing, the Falcons expert, I think you could call us the Falcons prophet, Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons. He's been here before. Welcome back. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I appreciate the kind words. Well, I mean, you are the, you're pretty much almost always dead on. I can go back to previous interviews with you and you, and you just have it down. And that's going to be big for this one because there's been so many changes I want to ask you about. I guess the first thing I want to know is, do you like the direction this Falcons team is going in right now? I generally do. I'm not enthusiastically in like with it. I think there's been some missteps in the past, but I think the last couple of days, uh, really since the 2022 NFL draft, things seem to be getting back on track and headed in the right direction. So um, I'm, I'm a lot more optimistic about the direction today than I was probably a month ago. So what make what has you in like instead of in love? Well, on Tuesday, uh, as we're recording this, you know, the Falcons just gave Grady Jarrett an extension. There had been concerns really over the last year or over whether or not the team would move on from him. And I think keeping him is an important move. And I think they are, are coming off a pretty strong draft. Uh, sort of initially, I had some misgivings, particularly with the first round pick taking a wide receiver, given pass. Uh, history where the Falcons, every time they seem to invest those big resources in a wide receiver, the next two or three years, they have really bad offensive line play. And I didn't want to see the team going down that path. But I think, uh, you know, ultimately, I really am a big fan of Drake London, a player. And I've uh, been able to, over these last couple of days, look at that as less of a gripe uh, and more of a nitpick. So I think that pick, as well as the other picks, later in the draft really led me to feel a lot more optimistic about this uh, current Falcons regime. Okay. So before I even get into the draft and into the offseason moves, I mean, there's some big ones here. I guess the first thing I want to ask you about 
in terms of this team, where it's coming from here. Arthur Smith, what was your take on him as a head coach, and do you like the direction he took the team this year? Yeah, and uh, he's been a play- he's been a coach that's gotten a lot of praise, given uh, the um, statements and, and feelings that a lot of people have. I don't always share it that the Falcons. It was an incredible coaching job by Arthur Smith in his first year to get seven wins, given what people perceived the Falcons roster to be, which you know was at the bottom of the league. I didn't quite agree that the Falcons roster was that bad uh, last year. Uh, and so for me, the team getting seven win, wins was not necessarily massive overachievement, but kind of what my expectations were. Um, but, you know, I think you can sort of uh, haggle about that over the case. So I think with Arthur Smith, I think there have been positive signs. Um, but similarly to before, I haven't always been enthusiastic uh, in my sort of support. Uh, based off of what he's done so far. Uh, but I think, you know, things are trending in the right direction, as I said earlier. Now, a couple of things that's happened here before the draft. Calvin really getting suspended for, well, indefinitely, but I'm, I'm guessing probably a year. How has this affected the team and its direction, especially with Lila Jones being traded last year? Yeah, I, I think it really kind of is looked at in, in a multitude of ways. I think one way a lot of people focus on is kind of the turning point where coming off of the season that the Falcons had with Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley returning after basically taking most of 2021 off to deal with his mental health, um, you would thought, okay, maybe this Falcons team can make significant improvement uh, heading into uh, 2022. Uh, But then with Calvin Ridley being suspended indefinitely for gambling and probably has played his last down as an Atlanta Falcon at this point in time, um, you know, it looked like that hopes of the Falcons being a contender this year kind of went away. And I think that led a lot of people to think that's sort of when the Falcons began to, you know, tinker a little bit more with the idea of moving on from Matt Ryan. Um, And you can also look at some of the other sort of ripple effects of Calvin Ridley being suspended. Uh, Another one is the Falcons first round pick in Drake London, the USC wide receiver to try to get another playmaker here uh, to tag team with Kyle Pitts. So you have Ridley's out. I play his last game. Matt Ryan's traded. What's been the mindset of this team that basically traded the guy who has been there, been their franchise quarterback now for a decade? Uh, why? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've said it a million times since that trade happened. And Matt Ryan represented stability for this franchise for 14 years. Uh, prior to his arrival, the Falcons had never had consecutive uh, winning seasons in 40 plus years of existence in the NFL. Uh, and then within the first two years, and Matt Ryan's time in Atlanta, they were able to break that streak and have back-to-back winning seasons, went on to make the playoffs four out of the first five years that Matt Ryan was here in Atlanta, obviously went on to have other success with the MVP season and the Falcons making a Super Bowl run in 2016. Uh, and the 14 years that Matt Ryan was here in Atlanta were the best 14 years of this franchise's history, and they had stability, and they were a consistent winner. Uh, and so I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, in those weeks after that Matt Ryan trade at the end of March, uh, were a little bit forlorn. And that gets back to the conversation we've already been having about questioning the direction of, of this team. And it was going to be a big, tall order uh, for this regime to fill the massive shoes uh, left by Matt Ryan moving forward. They had to get that pick right. They had to get that player right. And I think a lot of the optimism and, and change, changing uh, a different tune that I'm having over these last weeks or so is in part due to optimism that you know maybe they did to hit that guy in round three when they took Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter 
So you're coming in now. You you've traded your or franchise quarterback. You your your number one receiver is gone. Probably gone for good. You make several moves in the draft to get get some guys in there you need to get and and you're in like with what they're doing. <laughs> to quote you, in like. Um, what were in your view the three biggest incoming moves that the Falcons made? Well, um, that was one of the difficult parts of free agency is that the Falcons were not as proactive as I thought. But I think in terms of probably the biggest move that they made this offseason was getting a veteran corner in Casey Hayward. They signed him to a two-year contract, pretty modest deal. uh, And he's been, you know, a proven, established veteran for many, many years and been very successful over his years with the Green Bay Packers or with the L.A. Chargers and and most recently with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, and they needed stability at that cornerback position opposite A.J. Terrell. They didn't quite get that with Fabian Moreau. It was kind of a stopgap option for them that last year. And I think A.C. Hayward gives them a really solid um, number two corner uh, to to play opposite A.J. Terrell, one of the ascending players. I then think after that, you look at potentially Rashawn Evans, the Titans linebacker that they added, uh, who's going to be filling in the shoes of uh, Foye Oluokun, who signed in free agency to a lucrative deal to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Falcons really need an improvement at that linebacker position. Deion Jones, who formerly was the middle linebacker before Foye Oluokun took over last year, you know, has been a, a bit of a disappointment after getting paid a couple of years ago, these last couple of seasons. And so getting, you know, a, a more physical downhill run defender like Rashawn Evans, I think is going to be a big improvement um, for the defense. And then offensively, you know, I think adding a player like Anthony Ferkser, um, or no, of course, I'm, I'm forgetting the most obvious uh, offensive player. And that's, of course, Marcus Mariota, uh, the quarterback who presumably will be the starter week one. Uh, and then we'll sort of have to see if, you know, Desmond Ritter can push for time at some point later in the season. But certainly Marcus Mariota is going to be the kind of the shepherd and the steward uh, to usher in, you know, the next era of Falcons football as sort of a bridge quarterback, potentially to Desmond Ritter or somebody else next year. Uh, but he gives the Falcons some much-needed stability and competent NFL-caliber uh, play uh, at that quarterback position for at least this season. So you mentioned Desmond Ritter. And you know, overall, though, was the Falcons had five picks in the first 85. So there's a lot of talent they had their pick with. And looking through, they addressed several areas, a couple edge, a quarterback in there, wide receiver you mentioned, Drake London. What did you really like about those first five picks especially? Yeah, you know, I think for me with London, you're getting a much more explosive offense for the Falcons. And I think explosiveness has been sort of the key for teams, um, you know, the last couple of years and the most successful offenses are those that can generate those explosive plays on a regular basis. And the Falcons were sorely missing that in 2021, uh, and hopefully we'll get that back now with London and, and Pitts providing uh, that type of ability along with Cordero Patterson. And you know, I think the value of getting Ritter, again, um, you know, potentially the guy that could be the replacement, the long-term replacement for Matt Ryan in round three, when I think a lot of people expected him and several other quarterbacks in this draft class to go much higher in the draft than the round one. So I think the Falcons got great value there. And, the, you know, it's a it's a big swing, uh, but uh, it, it's certainly a swing that I think the Falcons have to make to, you know, see if Ritter can play this season 
so that if they wind up picking high in next year's draft and are in a position to go get another quarterback, or possibly a better quarterback, they need to have the most informed opinion on Desmond Ritter. And then I think getting Arnold Ebiketti in round two, getting a pass rusher there. They added D'Angelo Malone later in round three. He can also help there. But primarily, Ebiketti's ability to rush the quarterback, I think he's got the potential to be a high-end pass rusher and a, and a consistent pass rusher. You know, I called him earlier on Twitter an alpha pass rusher, which is the Falcons haven't really had since John Abraham last played in Atlanta back in 2012. Um, so it's been something that's been sorely missing, and the hope and expectation is maybe Ebiketti can fill those you know long, uh, empty shoes. So now you get your quarterback here, Desmond Ritter. Third round, this was not considered to be a quarterback-heavy draft, uh, but there, there still was a, a lot of good kind of funneling through media circles about Desmond Ritter leading up to this draft. He interviewed well. He, I mean, the guy had a fantastic season. What do you personally like about him from what you've seen and what you've heard? Yeah, I'm, you know, probably this weekend I'll be taking a, a deeper dive into the All-22 that I was able to get hands-on from his days at Cincinnati. Um, so, you know, I will say my opinion subject is subject to change. But, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I'm really excited about Desmond Ritter that I really liked about Desmond Ritter was just kind of his poise and consistency. And we talked about the stability that the Falcons had with Matt Ryan for 14 years and the possibility that that is now lost without Matt Ryan because the Falcons just haven't been an organization and franchise over their history that has experienced that type of stability and consistency time and time again. And taking someone like Desmond Ritter, it sounds like a cliche, but you know, he's a winner, right? He, he went to Cincinnati, which was not by any means a national power, certainly a, a solid sort of second tier program. Uh, and over the course of his career, he got consistently better and to the point that they were a national title contender uh, in his final season. And so, you know, those in sort of intangibles, that was really Kind of the thing that Matt Ryan brought to the table, not necessarily a, a unique and, and gifted physical skill set as a quarterback. Uh, it was those intangibles. And the hope is that someone like Ritter can bring a similar amount of intangibles, not to mention that he does have a little bit more of a gifted physical skill set with the arm strength and with the mobility and athleticism. All right. So wrap us all together here. You have an NFC South that it, it's you got the Saints who. Just lost Sean Payton. They're bringing back Jameis Winston quarterback. They they made a couple moves. You have the Bucks, the just a year ago Super Bowl champions, and the Panthers trying to make that next move. Where are the Falcons in this division, and where do you expect them to land by the end of the year? I honestly don't put the Falcons in the playoff chase. You know, I've, I've said some you know glowing things about their potential, but I think that's really more the long term potential, particularly of these draft assets they were able to add. That's going to be what these guys can contribute to this team in two and three years from now. In terms of immediate impact, I'm not necessarily sold that we will see that unless the Falcons can get significantly better quarterback play uh, from Marcus Mariota than he's shown in the past. Or Desmond Ritter proves to be that rare sort of spark plug rookie or whatever the case may be. Two outcomes that I'm not necessarily putting a whole lot of stock into. Uh, But I think for right now, the Falcons look like a team that's going to be fighting with Carolina for that third place in the NFC South. Certainly if they can, you know, overachieve and if Arthur Smith can sort of have a repeat of what people said he had a year ago, which get, you know, a a lackluster roster to a lot more wins than they probably seem to deserve on paper. uh, Then I think the Falcons may be in the, in the, at the tail end of the wild card hunt, similar to what they were last year, but more than likely, I think the Falcons are going to be 
pretty inconsistent team uh, this upcoming season, and that doesn't typically lead to success uh, when it comes to making a playoff push. So then all those things in mind that you're mentioning, you know, say that they are competing for third place. What would you, from this group of guys that you're seeing right here and heading the next season, what would you say now, if you were to look back at this interview today, eight months from now, and say, yes, this is what I wanted, what would be that one thing, what would be one outcome that you definitely want to see happen this year to show the franchise is in the right direction? I think, you know, finding out that Desmond Ritter can play, I think is probably the, the one thing that I'm hoping uh, for. Uh, you know, I don't think he's coming to a situation here in Atlanta that is uh, particularly favorable, uh, given, you know, their struggles in the run game and on the offensive line and not necessarily have a great defense. And history kind of tells us that when quarterbacks go to such an environment, they tend to struggle, even uh, much more talented quarterbacks uh, than Desmond Ritter, like we saw last year with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. Uh, so that's my concern moving forward. So I don't want to necessarily throw Desmond Ritter to the wolves. Uh, otherwise, you could potentially scar him long term uh, if he gets beat up a lot as a rookie. Uh, but I do think you want to try to find out if he's the guy, if he can be the guy and he can flash that sort of next level ability so that if and when the Falcons do have a high pick in next year's draft, instead of using that on another quarterback, they can go use that on another playmaker that can build up that supporting cast so that Desmond Ritter can be put in a position to succeed long-term here in Atlanta. So that's kind of the big question that to, for me right now is kind of hanging over the season. Is Desmond Ritter the guy, or are the Falcons going to be back in the quarterback market a year from now? And it's a tough order for a young quarterback to basically get one year of auditioning to prove that he's got the potential when we know that typically rookies don't hit the ground running. So uh, it's, a t it's a tall order, as I said, but it's certainly something that I'm optimistic and hopeful for. So it comes to mind when you're talking about that. I'm sitting there thinking about back when the Browns drafted Deshaun Kaiser. And they basically gave him a one-year audition before they went out there and got someone else. Anyway, I, think it was, I think it was Mayfield. Yeah. But I, I, that's what comes to mind as you're, as you're describing that. I'm kind of hoping it doesn't go that way because Kaiser never really had a fair shot. I'm hoping that, that Ritter gets his fair shot down there in Atlanta. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. So it's, it's, that's why I say like you're torn between like, this is not fair, but at the same time, you know, the business of football keeps rolling on. And if, if you're not capable of doing the job, they're going to find somebody else who can. Fair enough. So Aaron, let people know where they can find your work. It's always good stuff. Well, Derek, I appreciate you having me back on. I always enjoy talking Falcons football with you. Uh, people can check me out on Twitter if they enjoy snarky tweets about the Atlanta Falcons at FalcFans. That's F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. And, of course, you can find my more serious work on the Locked on Falcons podcast, free and available on a variety of podcast platforms Monday through Friday, every single day, coming at you, giving you uh, your daily Falcons content uh, and Locked on Falcons. Yeah, you can find that on Twitter. You can find that on uh, Google, Apple Podcasts, YouTube now. Uh, so pretty much anywhere, search Locked on Falcons and you'll find me. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. We're always glad to have you on. Appreciate it. I really liked the Falcons draft, to be honest. I like what they did. I think it's a long-term build for them. I'm not sure on everything they're doing, but I think they're moving in the right direction. They've made the call to turn things over. And if Arthur Smith continues coaching out of his head like he did last year, they may even surprise a few people. So I think positive things are happening with, with the Falcons. It, the division's winnable outside of Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay falters if Tom Birdie Hams get hurt. You never know what's going to happen there. They're probably a couple years away, but we thought that 
at many times over the course of Rams history and things changed early. Okay, so before we move on to talk with Matthew Kohler, I'm going to ask you to listen to our sponsors. Check it out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, here we go with Matthew Kohler. All right, folks, I'm here with Matthew Kohler. Back again. He was here with us during the season when the Vikings played the Rams. He's here again from the Purple Insider pod. And also, he writes for it as well. Matthew, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming to our in the league. We really appreciate it. And are you ready to go with some Vikings talk? I am always ready to go, man. I, I think uh, me and the rest of the football world have been decompressing post-draft and trying to figure out what just happened to us over the last couple of months. But uh, now it's like we finally made it. Well, I'm hoping you can piece it together for us because last time we talked, it was before the Rams-Vikings game. You, we previewed it out and everything, and, and you had expressed cer- you know, certain thoughts about Mike Zimmer and, and about Kirk Cousins. Now Zimmer's gone. So I guess the first question I ask you is, what, why didn't Zim work out in the end? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, a lot of reasons. The bottom line is they didn't win enough. I mean, they just uh, went all in after going to the NFC Championship in 2017. They made every move to return to the NFC Championship, including signing Kirk Cousins to a massive contract, bringing back veteran players, um, spending as much as they possibly could, kicking as much cap space as they could down the road. And uh, this is the reason that I was a little skeptical that it would work for the Rams last year. Now, obviously, I was wrong, and it did. But uh, many other teams try that to, to go all in and, you know, F them picks or whatever else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it doesn't always work. And that was really the case for the Vikings, that they tried everything they possibly could to return to the NFC Championship under Mike Zimmer and with Kirk Cousins a quarterback. And eventually, you know, when you go two straight seasons playing the final week of the year for nothing and missing the playoffs and sitting home and watching playoff teams, I mean, the head coach is the one who's almost always going to be held responsible. I mean, there's a bunch of other things at play, including the culture sort of fell apart. Um, You know, Mike Zimmer is a really tough head coach. He's hard on his players. He pushes them as much as he possibly can. And when you're winning, all of that's like, yeah, hard nose Zim. But when you're losing, you're just the big old ogre that's causing all of the problems. And, you mm-hmm. know, this is sort of how it works in the NFL. And uh, Mike Zimmer also saw his defense after 2019 really fall apart. So all those key players who had been such a big part of them having a number one defense 
they lost most of them. Daniil Hunter is still here, but he's only played seven games in the last two years. Everson Griffin was brought back, uh, played well for half a season, didn't play the second half of the season. They lost guys like Xavier Rhodes, who was really important to them. Terrence Newman retired. Um, Linval Joseph, like they had all of these really great players on defense exit after 2019, and they never were able to really rebuild it. And Zimmer, I think, did the best he possibly could last year with what he had. But when you have Rashad Breland getting lit up week after week after week, it's just really hard to stop the other team, no matter how much of a defensive genius you are. So I think it's a, a combination of things. If he had handled um, that pressure and that failure a little bit better, if he had managed his quarterback a little bit better, you know, maybe we're not having this conversation and they would have continued to give him chances. But, um, you know, I think that the final straw was at the end of the season when he was asked about playing Kellen Mond. And he said, uh, whatever, I see him every day in practice. I'm not going to play him. And, you know, it was just totally unnecessary, just dunking on a young kid who's never played before in the league and was a rookie. And I think that um, ownership sort of got tired of that act that was once great for Zimmer. Oh, he's this old school coach who says what's on his mind. but when you're losing a lot, what's on your mind is not good things. And that's kind of how it ended up going um, with Mike Zimmer and why they felt like they needed a change to a completely different type of coach in Kevin O'Connell. So going to Kevin O'Connell, you know, he's our offensive coordinator for a couple of years. Really, he didn't call the plays. He was McVay's eye guy in the booth. And for years, you know, when you think, okay, oh my gosh, they're not calling plays. And then you see what happened with, you know, all these other coaches who've been through the same thing and they're all successful somewhere else. So, all that in mind, what drew the Vikings to Kevin O'Connell? Yeah, I think, uh, for one, there were some people that weren't comfortable with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I think that Jim Harbaugh would have become the head coach of this football team if some folks didn't vote yes on that. And it's not super clear who, but they brought Jim Harbaugh in. And normally, if you bring him in, he is becoming your head coach. And there was a lot of different rumors and I've heard different things about who eventually nixed it. But I think that that's what they had initially planned to do. Kevin O'Connell was the next guy on their list, in part because he's just so much different than Mike Zimmer. And you know this, that when you have a Jeff Fisher, what do you do? You go get a Sean McVay. You look for the exact opposite of the guy that you just had. If you had old school, you're looking for young and progressive and fresh. If you had a guy who was hard on players, you go to look for a player's coach and try to hit the reset button. But I also think that there was another part of it that Mike Zimmer had a very specific idea of what he thought offenses should be when you don't have an Aaron Rodgers or a Drew Brees, which is run with Delvin Cook first, get in certain you know short yardage situations, run a lot of play actions, try to hit shots down the field. And I think that that strategy is overall sound, but I think his frustrations with Kirk Cousins led them to run the ball too much, led Zimmer to kind of obsess over running the ball too much. And I mean, Zimmer always is a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. And when he doesn't believe in his quarterback, it was just everywhere. I mean, everything that Zimmer said, the way that they ran their offense, there was no belief there in Kirk Cousins. For Zimmer, it was all about mitigating um, you know, Kirk Cousins and, and stopping him from making mistakes and making things as easy as possible for him, which I know is what all coaches are trying to do for their quarterbacks. But when you take it to the extreme and you essentially tell the public, I don't believe in my quarterback, then the next coach they're going to look for is a guy who might believe in the quarterback or who's going to, you know, maybe collaborate with Kirk Cousins a little bit more, believe in him a little bit more, uh, make life a little bit easier on him, even if it's just from not having 
so much pressure directly from the head coach. Um, I think that those are some of the things that they looked for with Kevin O'Connell. And then, look, I mean, when you're on such a successful team as the Los Angeles Rams and with a successful head coach like Sean McVay, you're going to lose your coordinators because people are going to be looking very closely at those guys. And I've only been around Kevin O'Connell now a few times um, because he just got hired. But at the NFL Combine, his a couple of press conferences. Uh, and I think what you see is the exact vibe that they were going for. Somebody who's trying to be as progressive as he could possibly be on offense, but also listen to his players, understand his players as people, try to work and play to their strengths and, and really not work against his quarterback as Mike Zimmer uh, seemed to so often do. So I hear, I mean, it's a lot in there. Kevin O'Connell, though, he did see the breakdown relationship between Sean McVay and Jared Goff. And, I mean, he was in the middle of that. I'm not saying he did anything wrong there. He was, he was involved in that. Does that concern you at all, Went considering that there's, there's got to be some, still some rough feelings there relating to Kirk Cousins? Yeah, and I think that there still are, but not anything really to do with Kevin O'Connell. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's more to do with just the organization giving him the shortest term possible extension that they could. One year. Uh, is what they gave him, just to lower his cap hit so they could afford a couple of free agents. Uh, they did not sign him up for a Viking for life. There were some comments by Cousins that I guess you can read between the lines as much as you want, where he said, I guess I've got to earn that if I want to be a Viking for the rest of my career. And it kind of came across as, well, I guess I haven't done enough yet uh, for you guys to really love me. And there were also conversations about the Vikings trying to trade Kirk Cousins, which they did. They attempted to trade him to the point that Baker Mayfield believed he was going to be a Viking. He thought he was going to get traded for Kirk Cousins, and the Indianapolis Colts also tried to trade for Kirk Cousins, according to a few reports and things that I've heard as well, and uh, they end up with Matt Ryan. But interestingly, when Matt Ryan's team tried to go for another quarterback, he forced his way out, whereas Kirk Cousins signed an extension. And so now things are, are honestly a little uncomfortable with the quarterback because he hasn't won here. And and regardless of whatever statistics you put up and whatever arguments people want to make, I mean, nobody cares, right? Like the only thing that matters is whether you win. And so that they're sort of treating him like that, like, well, you haven't really won here. So we're going to get you a new head coach. We're going to see if that was the problem. And clearly the way the draft played out, there wasn't a quarterback that they could buy into as their future QB. But if Kirk Cousins is the same old Kirk Cousins this year, which at age 34, I kind of suspect that he will be, um, they'll draft a quarterback next year and start the process of moving on. So even though a big portion of this is bringing in Kevin O'Connell to work with Kirk Cousins and have a better vibe of working with Kirk Cousins, it's also probably to pick out the next quarterback as well. And Kevin O'Connell, a former NFL quarterback himself, and you know, again, working with McVay and all that sort of stuff, winning Super Bowl, I mean, all of that sort of bodes well for this is someone that you want evaluating your next crop of quarterbacks and next year's draft. I think everybody's going to be looking for him. So, you know, it's a, it is a very odd situation. It's a team that's really caught so dead in the middle. I mean, it's you have a 500 quarterback. You have a roster that's probably the 15th to 17th best roster. Uh, you have a new coach who we don't know how he's going to handle all the situations that come up throughout a season. And I'm sure Mike Zimmer left him a note in the desk that said, it's harder than you think, because a lot of stuff comes your way that you don't expect as a head coach. And, you know, Vegas 
has them as the 17th best playoff odds. You just couldn't be any more stuck in the middle. I think that short term, they're trying to get a little more out, squeeze a little more out of the orange. But it's really about the long term, I think, is is bringing in Kevin O'Connell and looking for someone who's going to be progressive offensively and someone who can get the next quarterback and put them in a spot to succeed. So this roster you mentioned 17th-ish, um, you have a, a player's coach in there now, a uncomfortable quarterback who knows he's on a short leash, and yet you have talent there, Dalvin Cook, for example. You, you have some players. What moves did the Vikings make during the, the free agency period that are, it has you, okay, this, they're building something here, I see where they're going, or did they not do anything that got you, got you going at all? Yeah, they didn't really do anything. I mean, uh, that was the most shocking part of this offseason for the Vikings is when they changed general managers, I think uh, the expectation was, well, they're going to blow this whole thing sky high. This thing that has not succeeded or even remotely succeeded. I mean, you win one playoff mm-hmm. game in four years, you're not a success. And they continue to run it back and run it back. And it felt like we had reached the end of the road there with these core players that were getting older, aside from Justin Jefferson, obviously. But uh, everybody else, your Harrison Smiths, your Adam Thielens, Kirk Cousins on the older side, and they made themselves worse long term with the salary cap to keep all of those players instead of moving them for whatever they could get. And honestly, it's pretty shocking uh, that they decided to stick with something that clearly has not succeeded. And so they're doubling down on the idea that it was all Mike Zimmer's fault. However, if you look up Mike Zimmer's career win percentage, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not like you had Mm -hmm. some Joe Judge type of coach in here who was completely incompetent. Uh, This was a very good NFL coach. So it it really for them to succeed with this offseason, it has to have been all Mike Zimmer's fault. Otherwise, they're kind of going to look foolish for not making moves that would help them in the future and help them start to rebuild. And then their general manager, Kwesi Adafo Mensah. I think made the mistake of calling it a quote competitive rebuild, which is, I mean, what is that? Right. What is that supposed to mean? And talk about, I mean, this is a franchise that hasn't just been stuck in the middle recently. They've been stuck in the middle forever for a long time. Yeah, right. They have playoff appearances, but they only have, think about this. The Packers have been a 13 win team three years in a row. The Vikings have, I think if I'm adding it up correctly, two 13 win seasons since I was born. So, I mean, this is this is not a team that has been competing for Super Bowls or at the bottom rebuilding. And I think the expectation was they're going to change everything. They're finally going to go after that full rebuild, reset the entire organization and, and try to swing for the stars. And instead, um, they've talked about, quote, time horizons. Well, their time horizon is really now like a two year window to try to win with Kirk Cousins, which no one has done. And, you know, they didn't even draft really premium positions uh, in the draft outside of a corner. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're the ultimate stuck in the middle type of team. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, that's totally surprising for a guy uh, in Kwesi Adafo Mensa that was brought in because of his analytics background. And there's no analytics that support hurting your salary cap long term for older players who won't win you a championship. What comes to mind? And moving to a different sport, but we also, we, we have an Angels podcast too. And it just brings to mind that what Angels owner Artie Moreno said a few years back when they said, listen, just tear it down. Just tear down this whole thing. You haven't been winning. Tear it down. And he basically said he 
was never going to do that with like Mike Trout there. That they they they're going to have to rebuild on the fly. That was the quote. Not and they've been they haven't made the playoffs since they haven't. I mean, they're in first place now. We're like, oh my gosh, how that happened? And that's what this kind of reminds me of. Like you're, you're just going down the same path. You're and, and then I look at your draft, and I'm sure I'm a, I'm not. I'm not blowing this out of proportion here because many of the experts mention this. What the heck were the Vikings doing trading back with the Lions in the first round, 20 picks, and they didn't get all that much for them, by the way, um, especially when you have needs. That, that kind of boggles my mind. Yeah, and it goes back to the idea that there was one last um, frontier of potentially rebuilding, <laughs> and that would have been the draft. And if they had acquired oodles of draft picks and gone absolutely hog wild with trading down, then I think you would have gone, oh, okay, they're going to try to rebuild through the draft, but keep the veteran players competitive rebuild. Um, They trade down. They don't get that much back, uh, which, you know, I think when you look at past trades of that magnitude, when a team goes up that far, it almost always includes a next year's first. And the fact that Detroit didn't have to give up anywhere near that mm-hmm. um, sort of sort of tells you that, you know, Kwesi Adafo Mensa thought that was a good trade based on whatever formula he has. And he might be right. The only issue is that you gave Jamison Williams a very, very good receiver prospect to your contender, who, by the way, is doing the right rebuild, which is tear it all down, draft players at premium positions, a tackle last year, defensive end this year, wide receiver this year. I mean, Detroit looks like it's doing everything right. And, you know, at some point they'll probably move on from Jared Goff. But even then, you could see them taking big steps forward this year because of all the things that they've done over the last two years to tear it down and build it back up. And, you know, I know that some Vikings fans bemoan that and they go, well, look at these other teams that haven't done it. And that's true. There are teams that have failed the full rebuild. My question is, how is it better to go eight and nine than it is to go five and 13 or sorry, five and 12? Like, what difference does it make? I mean, the, like those three wins, did you raise a banner for them? And so, yeah, the draft, uh, you know, it looked like they were going to just stack all these draft picks. And especially when they traded back in the second round with Green Bay. But then they mm-hmm. traded back up to get Andrew Booth Jr., who is a prospect that I like uh, and has is at a premium position and is, is very good. And I think a first round talent. The problem is that he's had some very serious health issues. And again, you're kind of taking a risk there. You're taking a risk by giving Jamison Williams to the Lions. You're taking a risk by taking a cornerback that's had some pretty serious issues in the past. Later in the second round, they take another risk uh, by selecting a guard that has very serious allegations against him in the past of sexual assault. I mean, these things don't really add up to, wow, okay, this is a rebuilding team that is like getting all these premium position players and stacking up all these draft picks. And I can see what they're doing. It was a very similar draft that we would have expected in the past where you try to fill some positions. They desperately need players in the secondary and you make some moves that leave everybody scratching their head. And I think that's how we walked away from this Vikings draft. Makes you wonder who's really in charge there. If you're writing well, yeah, similar drafts. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been a question really from day one. Um, the minute that they extended Kirk cousins, it was a question of, well, what's going on here? And uh, it has sort of come to light that the owners of the Vikings did not want to go through a whole rebuild. And that's really the reason that they've gone down this path is that, I mean, I think that everybody sees it except for them. 
And we could all be wrong and they could win the Super Bowl and then we'll look back at this and laugh. But um, the odds would point to and the history would point to more mediocrity on the horizon for them. And maybe a maybe a six seed or seven seed if things go right, uh, that they just don't have the talent to get much farther than that or the quarterback. But the owners don't want to have setback seasons. They don't want to win three or four games and be booed off the field every single week. And and I respect that because if you're trying to win all the time for your fans, like I get it, like that's what you want. You want full stadiums. You want fans buying in and believing in you every year. You don't want to be irrelevant. But if you can't get past that glass ceiling of eight, nine or nine and eight, well, then it's not really that different. You're still irrelevant. You just have a few more fun games per season. And, and maybe that's what they're going for. But it felt exactly the same. And that circles back to the everything better have been Zimmer's fault, because if it wasn't, your results are going to be not great. I'm just looking at the NFC North. and I'm thinking, as you mentioned, you know, the Lions. And I, I got to be honest, with you, I really like the Lions did. The Lions, one, they took a good chunk of our our scouting staff <laughs> when they cut last year. I, I like what they're doing. They, they're doing it right. I look at Green Bay and think, that, well, you just trade away your best receiver for an aging quarter, your aging quarterback needs, and you didn't really do much else in the draft. I look at the Bears and think, what the bleep did they do? Well, the, you know, and to me, if there's ever a time to rebuild, it's now. Like you, you do it now because the division's going to be there for you. The, the, the Bears and the Pack, Packers, they may be tops down, but they're not going to. They're, they're due. And I look at the, the Bears, and they can't seem to get anything in order. Your own. So the Detroit's doing right, but you never know if it'll work out. So this is the time to go for it and rebuild. And yet, I'm hearing you say it's more the space of the status quo Vikings. Yeah, and the thing is that you know last year they had an opportunity to sort of strike uh, while the iron was hot, while Chicago and the Lions were down, and they didn't do that. Uh, and you know you go into another year where you say, well, Chicago and Detroit aren't projected to be all that good. If Justin Fields takes a step forward, though, that team can be more competitive, and Detroit should be quite a bit better, I think, especially the way that they played in the second half of last season. Even if Green Bay slips a little, it doesn't really change what the division looks like. And the the team and the roster is just so thin at a lot of spots. And you're really making gambles that aren't good ones. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Zadari Smith is a great player when he's fully healthy. And mm-hmm. it's always possible that he plays 17 games and racks up 15 sacks and he's just a monster. He missed all of last season, though, and no one paid him in free agency, which kind of tells you that there's some concerns there. And he was also going to sign back with Baltimore and then suddenly didn't. So it really throws up, again, a lot of red flags on this. Daniel Hunter has not been healthy. Uh, They're relying on an older Patrick Peterson to play a lot of snaps for them. Harrison Smith is in his 30s as well. He's not quite the impact player that he used to be. Uh, They signed Jordan Hicks and Harrison Phillips. These are not impact type of players. I mean, so there's a lot of things that they're really just making, I think, not great bets to try to win the division or compete for the division or just barely get in the playoffs. And I guess the question is, you know, if you make the playoffs and lose in the first round, like, was it a successful season? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe the owners think so. I don't think so. And, you know, that I think there's a lot of frustration here with the Vikings fans because of that, because they really expected to go into training camp looking at all new things like, you know, on uh, House Hunters or whatever, when they remodel, I don't know what show it is, uh, Love It or List It. 
when they redo the house and then the owners show up and go, wow, look at all this amazing stuff that you guys did. I think fans sort of expected to come into training camp like that. And instead it's okay. Well, that guy's just a different version of that guy. And Oh, look, Patrick Peterson's back. And you know, maybe they could stretch the offense a little farther. Maybe things fall their way. I've seen it happen before, but in order to win the division, it's basically like Aaron Rodgers has to get hurt to win the division. And if you go into a season saying the only way you can really win the division is if one of the other quarterbacks gets hurt, um, that doesn't say great things about where you are as a true contender in the NFC. Makes me think too, like maybe they didn't embark on the rebuild, quote unquote, not just because they didn't want to, but it wasn't a good quarterback draft. So maybe they're like, okay, well, hey, you know, let's just ride it out one more year. But to me, it would make more sense to let let Cousins go, let some scrub come in and be your quarterback. They should basically tank the team, tell your fans. I mean, that's what the Astros would do, and the Orioles all did. They just say, listen, we're rebuilding. Expect it. Come, come watch our young players. That seems to be, that mean, fans are cool with that if they know that you have a direction. I, don't, I think a lot of times owners don't understand that. Like They just think these, these, they're not going to come. No, if you're going out there and you're getting young players, we want to buy tickets to see these young players play. We're, we're, we're hoping we're going to be watching young stars. I got to admit, man, this doesn't make sense to me at all. Oh, you're not alone, my friend. I mean, there are a lot of Vikings fans who feel the same way. And these people, they always get back up for the season, uh, you know, so they will again. They'll come out to training camp. They'll be excited for week one. But the reviews for the first offseason of Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Adafo-Mensa are uh, bewilderment for the most part. Uh, and it's not just trading Kirk or not trading Kirk. It's really the whole idea where they said competitive rebuild. And my question is, where's the rebuild? They said that your new GM is very analytics friendly. And I think, where are the analytics? I mean, you know, I like everybody else, interview those guys from Pro Football Focus and read their work and everything else. And I don't see them saying, hey, look at these moves that the Vikings did. They are the new analytics franchise in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, down to drafting a safety with the 32nd overall pick. Um, you know, the Rams, for example, they <laughs> go into the playoffs and pick up Eric Weddle to play safety like that position. If you are competent and good at it uh, is one that you can kind of paint over where there are other spots that are really driving the success in the NFL. And if we're going to use the Rams since we're here. I mean, they went out and got more pass run, right? That's something the Vikings did basically none of outside of Zadarius Smith. Didn't draft a defensive end until the fifth round. Didn't draft a receiver until the sixth round. Another very Ramsey thing is to just keep getting wide receivers. Even if they don't work out, you just keep getting more and more because you always need more weapons. And that's not something they did. And so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of people going, what exactly is different here? What exactly was the goal here? And uh, to your quarterback point, Yeah, there were options. I mean, if you trade for Baker Mayfield, for example, he's on his fifth year option. He's not that expensive for this year. And then you could just move on from him. Or, I mean, talk about like being competitive and rebuild, or he plays really well for you and he's happy as a clam in Minnesota and doesn't want to tweet anymore. And then all of a sudden you got your quarterback. So they didn't have to draft a quarterback. Uh, It could have been sign Marcus Mariota, let him play for a year. Mm -hmm. That guy's won nine games in the league before. Like there are options that they just decided, no, we're good. We're going to stick with Kirk and we're going to kind of make sure we hit this certain baseline and then try to build up the roster around him eventually to move on from him. That looks like it's the plan, but it could be 
two more years this year and, and next year. And, and we get to 2024 before you're even really hitting that reset button. Well, I'm looking at your draft here. Something just kind of dawned on me. The way the Rams do it, and I'm, I'm, I'm only bringing this up because of Kevin O'Connell, because he's seen it. The Rams are able to get away with a lot of things they do because they are really good at developing third to seventh round talent, especially on the offensive line. And they're pretty good at getting some pass rushers and linebackers out of it, safeties. I mean, so I'm, I'm checking the draft and I'm sitting there thinking maybe that's it. Maybe they're bringing that mentality to Minnesota to focus on developing these later on because it keep them cheap. I mean, with the Rams draft this year, we knew what kind of play they're going to draft because they're looking at their roster a year or two down the road. And they're like, okay, you know what? We need a safety. We need a corner because we're not signing these guys back up. And I'm wondering if that's been the mentality that the Rams, um, that, that Kevin O'Connell brought to the Vikings. And I'm just, I'm looking at what you guys did and maybe you could tell me better. I'm only seeing a couple of guys that would fit in with that mold, like, uh, like, uh, Olmueo or, um, in fifth round or Evans in the fourth round. Asamoa at pick 66. Those are the kind of guys the Rams would would kind of get to try and develop. You think maybe that's it? <laughs> yeah, well, they're going to have to hope it's it because they have not managed their cap particularly well and they've kicked a lot of money down the road to extend guys like Harrison Smith or rework the contracts of Harrison Smith and, and Adam Thielen. And even with Daniil Hunter, there's added years now that are going to cost them with Kirk Cousins when you look at his extension. I believe in 2024, he's making $12 million dead cap if he's not here. I mean, that's just not good for you to be ha- able to have that flexibility to go out in free agency and restock your roster. So you have to hit on those third and fourth round draft picks. And, you know, the thing about those is, uh, you know, you have to like a corner in the fourth round. Those are always good swings. Uh, you, you know, developmental pass rushers usually don't turn out. We've seen that year after year here with the Vikings. They always draft somebody from the third to the fifth round who's a big, tall, lanky pass rusher who doesn't make it. Uh, so that's one where you kind of shrug your shoulders. But I think that, uh, you know, they didn't really take even swings there of let's get, you know, very much premium positions and hope that we hit. When you get a Brian Asamoah, he's probably a really good player. But I mean, mm-hmm. what is he's got to be great to make a difference, right? And this even goes for Lewisine, where when it's a safety, the guy probably has to be great. It's got to be Harrison Smith. Or you could just find safeties. I mean, think about the yeah, Rams let, um, what was it, John Johnson go, and yeah. everyone was talking about how great he was, and then they just replaced him, and it was really sort of the corners and the pass rush that were driving that defense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a lot of head-scratching going on, and I know that it sounds like we're just sort of you know hammering away at their offseason, but you know, the, it, it was the last opportunity for them to say, no, no, we've got this you know master plan that you guys don't understand because teams love to be that way. Like, oh, you guys don't get what we're doing. We've got all the answers. And then, uh, you know, they sort of had a, a usual draft. Now, maybe that's because they didn't rework their front office and a lot of the hay was in the barn by the time Quasi Adafalmenta got here. But I don't really very much buy that um, as, as an excuse because it's not like he came from nowhere. He was working for another team and would have already had ideas about roster building and then just didn't do the sharp things to rebuild the roster that doesn't mean that this can't work and that every pick is going to be a disaster it's just that like you really have to have to hit on the right things to be successful to get a chance to play for the super bowl and some of these bets even if they hit and are good players 
how much difference it actually makes toward winning long term is is pretty questionable. Well, I'm interested to see how this turns out, and I'm hoping for your sake, you're, we're ne- next year we're not sitting down again and you're talking about well that draft was a rebuild. <laughs> I'm hoping it, it goes out well for you, Matthew. Can you let people know where they can find all of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, purpleinsider.com. Everything is there. Um, the Purple Insider podcast on Blue Wire Pods uh, is a place to find rantings like this. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. It was a good ranting. Yeah, thanks so much, and I hope you have a great one. Yeah, thanks for having me. I got to be honest. I did not expect him to be that down on what the Vikings are doing, but when you look at everything he's talking about, it makes a lot of sense. Can you win with Kirk Cousins? I don't know. It's got to be a perfect storm. You got to protect him. You got to make sure. I, I do feel I was hesitant to accept this comparison to Jared Goff, but there are some similarities. Like Jared Goff, if you gave him protection, if you allowed him to be a statue in the pocket, he could probably pick him out for you. But in many cases, he flipped out. So I think there's significant similarities, and that also means some significant problems when it comes to the Vikings. However, that said, there's something off about the Packers right now. I just don't trust where they're going and the way they trade away Devontae Adams. Their draft to me wasn't really replenishing to what Aaron Rodgers needs. And you know how Aaron Rodgers gets when things don't go his way. I look at the Bears and think, uh, and the, the Lions actually are legitimately building. I mean, I like what they're doing, but they're probably a couple years away. The Vikings at least have talent there, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they pulled out, you know, one of those years where everything worked out well. So, there you go. All right, folks, thanks for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the first installment of the tour around the league, and we'll get with the rest of them, and we'll also check on the Rams next time out as well. Give us a follow on, on Twitter at Talk Rams, Facebook also with the Rams Talk Room Group, and also follow me on Twitter as well at DC Apollo. Have a great one, and we're out of here.